0: Well, good evening. Good evening. All right. Well, (laughs) it is an absolute joy to be here. We uh, get to gather together in the name of our Lord, and we get to worship him. That is truly uh, a privilege. To be called his children, and it has nothing to do with what we've done, it has everything to do with what he's done. And for that we can and should be compelled to worship him, to, uh, to consider who he is in, in our lives and his faithfulness is truly wonderful, isn't it? So this evening, um, we're going to go through Ezra chapter eight. Um we are quickly approaching the, uh, the end of Ezra, the book of Ezra. We only have a couple more chapters to go after uh, tonight. And um, <clears throat> one of the things that really stood out uh, to me is the, um, the man... Uh, named Ezra, just his character, how it is that he, uh, the manner in which he conducted himself as he led this group of people, of Israelites, back to Jerusalem. And so I'm sure as we consider Ezra and how much he loved the Lord and We'll see how much he trusted the Lord. Uh, We can't but be encouraged by him. We'll see how it is that he acknowledged God, saying in verse 18, and by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, and he goes on. He acknowledged that it was only by God's favor, by God's hand, his grace that this came about. As they prayed, there was a a time tonight, as we'll look at, uh, a time when he called or he proclaimed, he called on the people to fast and pray. He said that he had declared to the king Artaxerxes, Boasting in his God and saying that the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him. He also, in verse 31, after they had arrived safely in Jerusalem, acknowledged God. Saying the hand of our God was on us and he delivered us from the hand of of the enemy, and from ambushes, by the way. And so we have this man that, at every turn, he's he's looking to the Lord. He's um, trusting in the Lord. He's relying upon Him. He's praying. He's seeking Him. And we'll see this time and time again, just through this one chapter. This chapter is actually Ezra retelling. The event that uh, was covered in the last chapter, in chapter seven, verses one through ten, regarding him being sent uh, from Babylon or Babylonia and to Jerusalem, of course, we'll see some additional details as this covers a whole chapter. And what he gave us in Ezra chapter seven, verses one through ten, is a summary of what we're covering this evening. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time of study. We do ask for your blessing, Lord, that you would fill us with your Spirit, Lord, that your Spirit would guide us, teach us all things that pertain to you, lead us in all truth, illuminate the Scriptures for us, that they may be effective in their work in our own lives. I ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding, Father, and that by the proper interpretation of your word that they would be applied correctly, that your word would be applied correctly in a manner that is glorifying and fitting according to your word. And so, Father, we commit our time into your hands, Father, and we ask your blessing, your anointing, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's begin by reading Ezra chapter 8 and verse 1 which gives the genealogy of all of those who had come with Ezra from Babylon to Jerusalem. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia. In the reign of Artaxerxes the king, of the sons of Phineas, Gershom, of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel, of the sons of David, Hattush, of the sons of Shechaniah, who was of the sons of Parash, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men, of the sons of Peath, Moab, Elohani, the son of Zariah, and with him 200 men, of the sons of Zetu, Shechaniah the son of Jehaziel, and with him 300 men, of the sons of Adin, Ebed, the son of Jonathan, and with him 50 men, of the sons of Elam, Jeshia the son of Atzalai, and with him 70 men, of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah, the son of Michael, and with him 80 men, of the sons of Joab, Obadiah, the son of Jael, and with him 218 men, of the sons of Bani, Shelomith, the son of Josephiah, and with him 160 men, of the sons of Babai, Zechariah, the son of Babai, and with him 28 men. Of the sons of Asgad, Johan, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, H-Hakatan, and with him 110 men. Of the sons of Adonikim, who those who came later, their names being Eliphalet, Jewel, and Shemaiah, and with them 60 men. Of the sons of Bigvi, Utai, and Zakur, and with them 70 men. As we uh, read through those names, and we come to understand, as we read from the very beginning, these are the heads of the father's houses who accompanied Ezra, again from Babylon to Jerusalem. So it gives us just an overview of exactly who it was that was going with Ezra. As I previously said, this is the retelling of what he had summarized in chapter 7 and verses 1 through 10. And normally, as you look at the Bible, as you read through the Word of God, the listing of names, as we see here, begins with the most prominent of people. At the top, we have the names of certain men listed. And I remind you that this group of people who are now going to Jerusalem from Babylonia are doing so. It didn't happen in succession. Zerubbabel went, and then he went and, and led the, um, the, uh, the construction of the altar and the temple itself, and then quickly came after him, Ezra, and this group. That's not the way it happened. In fact, we know that between chapters 6 and 7, 58 years had, had passed by. From the beginning of Ezra to now, we have now had 80 years passed by. And so it wasn't like just the next wave came through. It was a whole generation later. We have another group of people who are being brought from Babylon to Jerusalem by Ezra. The number of men who are included in this list, if you are quick with your math, it comes out to 1,496 men. Now, Just the men were counted, but it's estimated, counting the women and the children, there were anywhere between 6,000 and 7,000 people who went back to Jerusalem from Babylon in this group led by Ezra. This was no small number, of course, not something insignificant. It was a great number. Of course, the group that was led by Zerubbabel 80 years earlier consisted of about 50,000 people. But this is a good addition to those who had gone before. So this was a significant addition to those who were already there. But this number did not include all of the Jews who were in exile in Babylon. Which is something to keep in mind. And the question that normally should come up is why didn't all of them, having the chance, having the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem, why did they not go back? there were plenty of Jews who remained in Babylonia. We know that some were just comfortable. Not willing to go back. But not willing to go back where? Not willing to go back to the promised land. Not just any location. It wasn't just hey we decided to go move to a different location. It wasn't that. It was going back to the land that God had given them, to a land and in in a location that God had designated to be worshipped at. You know, I often wonder why it is that many people, although they they know that they're living in a spiritual Babylon. totally committed and devoted to living in the world and going along with its philosophical views, as opposed to being separate from the world and philosophy and practice. I often wonder as I I come to know and, and I keep drawing closer to the Lord as I get to know who He is even more and more as I read and study His Word, I wonder why they choose to remain in that place. Sometimes expressing, and oftentimes expressing, actually, a trust and reliance on the ways of the world and not the Lord. That is a a spiritual state, a personal position that some people hold. and, And I wonder, why is it? Why do you trust in the ways of the world more than you trust in the lord some love the darkness rather than the light in john chapter 3 verse 18 it says whoever believes in him is not condemned but, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of god and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I understand that sometimes it's as people walk in darkness they don't want to walk in the light. The light exposes the evil, wicked ways, and rather than facing that and being held accountable, which you will not escape, escape being held accountable, they would rather walk in the darkness. As Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to separate ourselves from the world. It is not a matter of of choice, it is a matter of either obeying or disobeying God's command to be separate from the world. In Second Corinthians chapter Corinthians 6, verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? there is no question. There is no question that for the child of God that we are to separate ourselves from the world and devote ourselves completely to the service of God. In James 4.4, it says, you adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Sometimes we are deceived into thinking that we could ride the fence or we could follow the ways of the world. And be okay with the Lord. After all, we're covered by grace, right? I think that's a, just a bad way of looking at it. It's um, it's a wrong way of looking at life. Because the Lord tells us to be separate. To separate ourselves. To be holy. In John chapter 17, verse 13. This is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He says, But now I am coming to you, in verse 13, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. That word sanctified is set apart set apart from the world and devoted unto the Lord in his service. One cannot be set apart for holy service to God effectively if that person loves the world and personally adopts its perspectives of life. I give you one more verse. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I often wonder, after hearing and knowing, why it is that some believers insist on walking in the ways of the world. There were many Jews that remained back in Babylon and chose to stay instead of going back to Jerusalem, going back to Judah and enjoying the land that God had set apart for them to dwell in and to worship Him. The many of the Jews who remained in Babylon were proven to have conformed to this world and did not see any benefit to going to the land that God had given them. Again, this is done by people today who say there's no need to... And this is one common thing that people say, and probably more so within the last three years. There's no need to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that very statement is set in ignorance, really. Because we are told very clearly not to forsake the assembling of ourselves as is the manner of some, need to real, they need to realize that they are the one, they are the some. But doing even more so as we see the day drawing near or approaching. Hebrews 10.25 is what I'm referring to. You can't, cannot stir one another up to love and good works if, if you're not together. No participation, no accountability. And that is actually disobedience to the God that they profess to love. If you love me, keep my commandments, is what Jesus said. That is how we demonstrate to Him that we love Him. The overall response to salvation and abiding. In him. Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. As we go through these examples, and this is something that we ought to take to heart. Is that we ought to, if we have a different way of thinking, then we ought to, as I read in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, be renewed, be conformed to the ways of the Lord, that our minds may be renewed by the word itself. Not conformed to the ways of the world, but in alignment to the ways of the Lord. Because what we ultimately reveal is that our hearts are not truly given to the Lord. When we disobey and we walk in a way that, again, reflects more of the world than of the Lord and His Word. No one is forced. God will offer And just as we see with Ezra, no one was forced to go back to Jerusalem. It was offered, and many chose to remain behind in Babylonia. But a group of about 6,000 chose to return to Jerusalem, a small number compared to those who stayed behind. They chose the right thing, those the ones that came, those that went up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Verse fifteen. Let's continue. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. And then I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jerib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshullam, leading men, and for Joirib and Elnathan, who were men of insight and sent them to Edo, the leading man at the place of Casiphia telling them what to say to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place, Casiphia namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely, Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, also Hashabiah, and with him, Hish- uh, Jeshiah, Jeshia of the sons of Merari with his kinsmen and their sons 20 besides 220 of the temple servants whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites these were all mentioned by name and so we see Ezra's leadership here is what we're looking at what we see here is that it, this is making it clear exactly who it was that was leading this group of people it was at Ezra that gathered them together, and he led them in the journey to Jerusalem physically. Now, the location that they were in was only a few days' distance, uh, travel distance from Babylon. And so he was leading them in this journey to Jerusalem physically. And as we'll see, he's also leading them spiritually as he discovers the lack of Levites. He's taken an account of all the people that he had with him. And what he realized is that he was was missing the Levites. There were no Levites among them. Well, they're necessary, they're critical to the system of temple worship that they knew according to the law of Moses. And when Ezra took account and he had discovered this, well, he sent for some leading men. Sent them back to Babylon to gather them together and bring them, that is gather the Levites together and bring them along with their group to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know why it is that the Levites initially chose not to go with this group back to Jerusalem with Ezra. We can, we can kind of just throw that out there because we know why it is that people choose to not go. Uh, Perhaps some did not know. Perhaps others didn't want to go back. They they also were comfortable in the lives that they had there in Babylon. Maybe some just didn't want to make the journey back to Jerusalem. It was not an easy journey. Four months travel. Ezra had everything. Everything. At his disposal. He had the authority from the king. He had the money and all the resources necessary. To go back to Jerusalem. And continue the worship of God. And do whatever was necessary. He had everything at his disposal. He even had silver and gold vessels. To furnish the temple. And worship God. At the temple in Jerusalem. But he was lacking one very important element, and that is people. The people who were ordained, who were chosen, who were selected by God, assigned by God to facilitate the worship. Ezra was wise and resourceful. He um, didn't overlook things. He noticed this, and he selected specific men to go back to Babylonia. He told them who to go to, what to say. He told them what to say. He says to Edo, go to Edo and his brothers and the temple servants at the place of Cassiphia, namely to send us ministers for the house of... Of our God, according to verse 17. Ezra selected nine leaders and then two who were very wise. In other words, they had great understanding. All men who were capable of going back, speaking to the Levites and persuading them to come with them to help them understand their need. And with this group of men that he sent back to Babylon, there was a pretty good response. Close to 300 Levites came back. And Ezra at this time acknowledged that it was by God's favor that there was a positive response to Ezra's appeal for them to join them in their journey to Jerusalem and serve as ministers for the house of the Lord. Something very important to to take note of. Perhaps if it's lacking in our own lives, That at every turn, whenever it is that you cry out to the Lord or or you just realize that God has done something for you that He didn't have to, to acknowledge Him, to praise Him in that moment. I I think something that's lacking amongst God's people is, is a heart of gratitude. We're so... Wrapped up in our lives. There are so many things. You know, every day there's going to be trials and tribulation. There's going to be tests. There's going to be conflict. We are given very good instructions on how to approach those things. They ought not overwhelm us. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. We need to go to them. Lay everything before Him. We ought to be more thankful. We ought to be more joyful. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Rejoice in Him. If you have problems at work, thank God you have a job. If you have problems within your family, thank God you have a family. There are those who cannot have children. If you have problems with your vehicle you have a ve- i can go on and on you understand what i'm getting at right it's like hey just get it done but thank god more and more each and every day we see this in Ezra we see how he's responding to God acknowledging him rejoicing in who he is and giving him credit Praising him because of the response that he saw, he knew. All these Levites came, saying, And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion. And he gave the number. God blessed Ezra's attention to the issue. He blessed his detailed planning, his wise selection of specific men to solicit, enlist, and mobilize the Levites. When we agree and devote ourselves to serving God, let us not forget that we are to serve wholeheartedly, eagerly, and absolutely with enthusiasm and great zeal. Colossians three twenty three and twenty four says, "Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward." You are serving the Lord Christ. Well, once he acknowledged the Lord and praised him, and we have the account of those who had come. Agreed to come uh, with him, the Levites. They all gathered together, and then Ezra proclaimed a fast. Verse 21 Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava, that we might humble ourselves before our God, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. If you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. Israel had planned, he had organized, he had gathered the people. When he realized there was a defi- deficiency, um, a shortfall, he acted upon it. He did everything that he possibly could to, make, to rectify that. And, and he sent for the Levites. And then he gave God the glory for giving them favor in the gathering of the Levites. And now prior to them moving even one more step, taking one more step, he discerned one thing. At this very moment, we need to fast and we need to pray. He was calling on everyone to humble themselves before God. To entreat him. In other words, to plead with him. That he provide a safe journey for the people. And for all their goods to get to Jerusalem. Listen, as, you, as we've gone through what Ezra has done up to this point. Doesn't it seem as if Ezra had been acting in all humility? He had considered God. He had acknowledged Him when He provided what was necessary. Money, resources, people, as we saw. You see, it's in this moment, it's when we seem to have everything together that we begin to disregard God in that moment. We don't look to him. We don't pray. Even less plead with him for the next thing. We, we think, well, we're good with him. It seems like we're good. We're, we're being blessed. We're, he's being gracious toward me, towards us. And then we neglect to, to pray to seek the Lord but that wasn't the case with Ezra because it was now that he looked to him even more so he was pleading with God to act on their behalf in this long and difficult journey to provide them with number one protection they needed this desperately because Ezra couldn't bring himself to asking King Artaxerxes for protection because he had boasted in his God. He was asking for a journey without any obstacles or dangers. That, that's what he was asking. Literally, he was asking, please, give me a straight path. It's, it's like asking the Lord, you know, hey, God, can you please make all the lights turn green? And make sure that no one comes in in front of me and nothing, like it's uneventful. Ezra showed this great reverence for God, this posture of having a heart that was broken and contrite, desperately seeking God. And so he proclaimed this fast. Because he had told the king that his God gave favor to all who seek him. And and he would pour out his wrath against all who forsake him. And so there was no way that Ezra was going to ask the king for protection. When he had told him that his God was able and willing to protect him. And all who were acting according to his will. So he went to the king. You see, Ezra was more interested in the glory of God than his own personal safety. God is able. No one is greater than God. And so they spent some time fasting and praying, humbling themselves before God and asking for protection against the enemy. Psalm chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Psalm 116, 1 and 2. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. Do you know that the Lord inclines his ear to you? His desire is that you would call on him, that you would... Spend time with him. Ask, request. God is mindful of men. He cares for us. He loves us. D.L. Moody, in thinking about this prayer, and it made me think of this quote from D.L. Moody, which says, quote, Some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. The way to trouble God is not to come at all, close quote. And so Ezra called on everyone to pray and fast. He assumed not that the Lord would continue to bless bless them, but rather at every turn, he was found seeking the Lord and imploring him for help. Again, something to take note of, something that we ought to do. It's like to acknowledge God at every turn, at every situation. You know, our conversation with the Lord never has to end. Because we acknowledge Him. We trust in Him. We look to Him for direction. It's a constant conversation with Him throughout the whole day. It's it's a day that is prayer-filled It starts in the morning when you get up and you are in just constant conversation with him. And when you notice certain things that happen that just are a blessing to you, that's like, wow, that really was amazing, Lord. And it should be so much throughout the day. Give him praise. Give him honor. Seek the Lord in everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing, without ceasing. And you know a couple of my favorite verses, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. As we already knew. As we already knew God was listening to their plea, their entreaty of God, the request for help. Verse 24, Then I set apart 12 of the leading priests, Hashabiah, and the ten and ten of their kinsmen with them. And I weighed out to them the silver and the gold and the vessels, the offering for the house of our God that the king and his counselors and his lords and all Israel there present had offered. I weighed out into their hands 650 talents of silver and silver vessels worth 200 talents and 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold worth 1,000 derricks, and two vessels of fine bright bronze as precious as gold. And I said to them, You are holy to the Lord. And the vessels are holy, and the silver and the gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them. And keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses in in Israel at Jerusalem, within the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem and to the house of our God. And so they were done fasting and praying After that, Ezra gathered the leading priests and gave them stewardship of the valuable vessels uh, for the house of the Lord and the, the silver and the gold, everything he gave to them, entrusted these valuable items to their care. And Ezra not only gave them stewardship over these vessels worth, in today's money, millions of dollars, But he also reminded them of something very important, gave them charge to guard them and keep them until they're surrendered at the house of the Lord within the chambers of the house of the Lord. He told them two things that are very important. Number one, you're holy to the Lord. Number two, those vessels that are being entrusted to you, not just you, those vessels that you're being entrusted with are also holy to the Lord. Holy simply means separated from the world and devoted to God. To the world, the silver and gold was, was very valuable, as it would be Today. And it would definitely be something that would be worth taking a life for, as far as the perspective of the world. That's why we have armed guards that transport valuable items. Or the Brinks trucks are something that perhaps we, we think of in considering this. And so the priests knew when Ezra was entrusting them with all of these items, again worth millions of dollars, they knew that at that moment, those men would be targets. And yet they assumed responsibility and stewardship of these vessels of silver and gold. And he told them, hey listen, you are holy. But so are these items. They're set apart. They're devoted to the Lord. Just as God's people are to be holy, separate from the world and devoted to God, so we ought to regard those things that facilitate the worship of God as holy. It's interesting. Sometimes we, we, we handle things very lightly. We, we don't really think of them as being Holy. And yet, there are some things that God has set apart to be used completely for the Lord. They ought to be separate from the world and devoted to God, to worship Him. They're worth taking care of, they're worth guarding, they're worth making sure that they are used to worship our God and not for the world. to further the agenda that is according to the Word to fulfill God's will. The blasphemous act of using a location that should be set apart for the worship of God and instead used for drag shows and to do other just absolutely wicked things is an abomination to God. These houses of worship ought to be set aside completely, apart, set apart from the world, and set unto and devoted to the Lord. So the priests and the Levites took over the weight of the silver and the gold and the vessels to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. Verse 31, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. We came to Jerusalem, and there we remained three days. On the fourth day, within the house of our God, the silver and the gold and the vessels were weighed into the hands of Merimoth. The priest. Son of Uriah, and with him was Eleazar the son of Phineas, and with them were the Levites, Josephad the son of Jeshua, and, and Noadiah the son of ben- 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 Benoai. The whole was counted and weighed, and the weight of everything was recorded. So now four months have passed. They arrived in Jerusalem safe and sound, and everything. That they had been sent with. And Ezra was quick once again. Take note. Once again he was quick to acknowledge that God's hand was upon them. And he protected them. And he brought them safely into Jerusalem. Totally without incident. Reminds me of what was promised by God to Joshua. As he was bringing Joshua, the Israelites led by Joshua into the promised land. He said this in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord has promised us that he will be with us until the end of the age. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us let us be holy vessels set aside for the pleasure and the glory of the Lord. Knowing that He is with us, let us always seek Him and and plead with Him and entreat Him for everything that is needed. Not only arrive at our destination safely, but with everything intact that we may follow through with those things that the Lord has for us to act upon. Whether it be in ministry, whether it be in our family, whether it be in our work, but seek Him in every way. Because as it was with Joshua, so it was with Ezra, and so it is with you. And so all the silver and gold were accounted for and recorded. And it's thought that It may have been required by the king to take record and certify everything as it arrived in Jerusalem and then send word back to the king that everything was accounted for, that everything made it to Jerusalem. I thought about integrity. And how is that the man of integrity has nothing to hide? Yeah, take account. It's all there. I've been faithful to Bring everything to the storehouse, everything that is necessary or everything that I was sent with that was entrusted to me to use for the glory of God. Let's maybe think of the first qualification of a pastor found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 and in Titus chapter 1, verse 6. That is that the man is to be, first and foremost, a man that is above reproach. It made me think of that because there are so many, and and I've had these conversations, especially here in the last week or so, of so many churches that are led by people who have no interest in bringing glory to the Lord. They have no interest in teaching sound doctrine. These are all the things that have been entrusted to those people There's a lot of people that have had, as it's described, moral failures in whatever way. This is the first qualification of of a pastor to be above reproach. What this means is that he must be a man of integrity, a man who is beyond criticism You accuse him, and it's not going to stick. It's just not there. A man who is entrusted with the oracles of God, entrusted to guard them and keep them until they are safely, soundly, and completely delivered to God's intended recipients. In fact, Jesus told Peter two times to feed his sheep, one time to tend in Luke chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. The Apostle Paul, as he passed this along to Timothy, he said this. He wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, chapter, one, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have been entrusted with a precious treasure. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's make sure we're faithful to deliver that. In vessels, you and I, that are completely set apart from the world. And devoted to service unto God. To be faithful unto him. Whatever the Lord entrusts you to steward, it is for his purpose, belongs to him, and I encourage you to make sure it reaches its intended destination. Will you be found faithful? That's the question, and that should be our desire. And verse 35, as we conclude, says, At that time, those who had come from captivity, the returned exiles, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel, 12 bulls for all Israel. Ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and as a sin offering, twelve male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. They also delivered the king's commissions to the king's uh, satraps and to the governors of the province beyond the river, and they aided the people and the house of God. Now, the offerings, these were burnt offerings. They're described, as we read, as burnt offerings. They're completely consumed, completely given and offered to the Lord, they were sacrificed and they were offered for the sins of the people and to dedicate themselves to the Lord. It was, again, a complete offering to the Lord. So everything that they had brought, all the animals, they were offered to the Lord. They also delivered all the king's commissions, as we read here. In other words, what was delivered to, uh, were the, the commands, the orders, uh, to the rulers of the region, giving Ezra... Authority to carry the king's offerings and to carry out the king's orders to provide all that is necessary for the unhindered worship of Israel's God by God's people. And I close with this one verse as we see the heart of Ezra, which says, The hand of our God was on us. That's what he kept acknowledging, and I would hope that perhaps this evening you were encouraged to acknowledge God, to pray to seek him, to walk with him, and trust everything to him, and have a heart of gratitude. Father, we thank you, Lord, for you are good. You are wonderful in all your ways. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to walk with you. Help us to look to you, to, to call upon you, Lord, to humble ourselves before you. And, and Lord, not neglect to cry out to you in, in our lives daily. Lord, we are in desperate need of you, and I pray, Father, that we would acknowledge that. You desire that we would pray without ceasing, that we would not live our lives in anxiety but completely surrender our lives to you and entrusting you, Lord, acknowledging that you are able to safely bring us home. Lord, greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Father, you have told us in your word that in this world we will have tribulation, but take heart, for our Lord has overcome the world. And so, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.